This is Think Smart with TMFG, your weekly podcast of what's newsworthy and relevant to everyday Canadians. With your host, Senior Financial Advisor Rob McClelland and Mike Conan of Asante Capital Management. Today on Think Smart with TMFG, Mike and I are going to be discussing divorce. We're going to review some divorce statistics and then we're going to get into some of the longer term financial implications. It's almost enjoyable to talk about death, isn't it? <laughs> almost. I would like to say I've got an in-house expert here, but that would be low, so I won't say that. I don't know much about death, but I do know the divorce thing. So, so Mike, I started exploring. I had a client uh, going through separation. Uh, they're five years in. They still do not have a negotiated divorce settlement. And it got me thinking about, you know, what, what are some of the statistics about divorce that we often hear? And, you know, the common one we hear is that you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce. So I decided to do a little, uh, little search, a little, I used a little chat to help me out to get some statistics. And here's what I find, or found. Um, actually, it's only 40% of marriages end in divorce. So it's not 50%, it's only 40%. The average age for divorce, in, in Canada anyways, is 46. That's older than I would have thought. It is older, right? Yep. Um, Canada has a pretty good divorce rate. It's 29th in the world. Now, when you compare it to all the other countries in the world, it doesn't look great. But in terms of the G7, Canada's divorce rate is lower than most. What do you think the average divorce costs in Canada? It's a big range, but I saw the number. It's around $18,000. So $18,000. Now, it can cost as little as $1,500, but it can also cost... In some cases, millions of dollars. Yeah. And again, when we say cost, that's legal fees. That's not how much it costs the person who's getting divorced. That's what goes to the lawyers. How long do you think the average divorce takes to get it all settled? I, I know it's a it's a few years. I don't think you're even legally allowed to apply for a divorce to have been separated legally for a year. So you're a few years. And some people never go through the finalization of a divorce. divorce. Some people, usually that's pushed if they get into another relationship along that line. So the average is about three years that it takes to get everything finally resolved on it. Minimum is typically 12 to 18 months. And for some individuals, it can go on for a long time, five years being long, but even longer. I then looked at second marriages. And what was interesting there is the divorce rate on second marriages is actually 60%. So we all think, you know, you're, you're experienced, you've learned some things. You've learned how to get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the divorce rate goes up on the second marriages. And, and if you get into a third marriage, it's 73%. So I'm, I'm going to flip that around. Only one out of four third marriages survive. And that, those are pretty horrible statistics yeah. if you're entering into something. You know, we then got into what are the major causes of divorce. Infidelity is 27%, so about one in four. Money problems with about one in four or 25%. And typically, money problems are sort of the last straw that sort of pushes them to the edge. Counseling, about 40% of those who try counseling still get divorced. Now, that's pretty good. 60% 
with counseling don't necessarily get divorced. So that, you know, that's a, a number in your favor. What are the main causes of divorce, Mike? What is the, you know, what does the, the research say are, are the main causes? And we just touched on some statistics, but... Research has shown uh, you're more likely to get divorced if uh, a few things are put down. If one person does all the household chores, it will eventually create resentment that will, that will cause marital problems. Uh, you're likely to get divorced if you have financial problems. And that was mentioned in statistics too. I mean, one of the main stresses in people's relationships is always financial. And many times people don't consider this when they're getting married. Some people are savers and some people are spenders. How many times have we seen couples that are a mixture of savers and spenders? And the person that's a saver always is resentful of the person that's a spender. I thought it was interesting. It says you're more likely to get divorced if you marry at a young age. And we can see the obvious, you know, they haven't really started their life. They've committed to marriage, whether it's because of a, a potential child coming or something like that, whatever it is, they get married early and often those end in divorce. They actually said there's an age that you should get married by and that's age 32. So divorce is higher for those individuals who get married after the age of 32. I thought that was interesting. We touched on second marriages. Um, you're more likely to get divorced if one or both of you did not finish high school. You are more likely to get divorced if you show contempt for your partner or constantly criticize your partner. You and I can probably speak to that. We work with couples. Yeah. And sometimes we see where one partner is not respecting the other partner. Well, we can see it in the meetings. Yeah. Sometimes the divorces don't surprise us. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. More often they don't. I thought this was a, a, an interesting one. Couples who are more affectionate as newlyweds, that's an early predictor of divorce. That would not be one for the social media to get all over. And you are more likely to get divorced if you have a habit of withdrawing during conflict. So lots of potential reasons to get divorced. What are some of the positives on that side, Mike? What are some things to maybe potentially put off divorce? Well, one thing, if uh, your parents are still married, that tends to be a positive influence. So if your parents never got divorced, they're still together, you're likely to more stay with the person. Uh, college degrees have been related. Uh, we talked about age. If you're over the age of 25, and we said that 25 to 32 range seems to be the optimal time to successfully, let's say, enter a marriage. Is that something you're going to tell your children? Uh, well, you know, it, it's it's probably not a bad it, statistics always has some reality behind them, right? So when you look at them, there's a reason why you find people, I, I would guess when I look at these statistics, there's always reasons behind it. Probably a lot of the reasons behind it, a lot of the ones outside that age factor are usually child-related. So a lot of times when people get married, it's because they're, they're having a child and they figure it was the right thing to do. And usually once you start pushing over your, let's say your mid-30s, a lot of times that's deciding, okay, I want to have a baby uh, in my life, so I'm going to find the person to have that, uh, that child with. And sometimes it's not all the right reasons for a marriage. I think it's interesting, you know, that we have in, in Canada, you know, at, at 18 you can, you can vote, in some provinces you can drink, and all these rules, you're considered an adult at eight, 18. Um, it takes a little while to, for that adult to mature. Yeah. And so I do think the 25 does make some sense. I, I can just, if I use my own example, is my children who are 25 and older are, tend to be a little more mature than when they were in their early 20s. Yeah. 
that certainly makes a difference. Yeah. Other thing that's really different is I think we see three different types of, let's call them separations in our office. There's the people who decide they don't want to live together and they still, they, they basically stay together, but they live separately. We have a few cases uh, uh, that we've seen like that. And pe people do that. that. That can work uh, well. We have other people that go and uh, get divorced but or get separated. It's very amicable. They both still will meet with their finances. They both talk to us and it stays very friendly. Then we have the third type is where the people have gone each way, both hire their own lawyers, and that's a whole different situation. And, you know, we've, we've looked at different ways to handle it in an office. If uh, the couple is both happy with meeting the same advisor, because the problem is it's one advisor. You always, you never want to take sides in these situations. And we've made an option, which we found has worked for some people. If, uh, if they're not comfortable working with the same advisor as their ex, we have a group of four different advisors in here. And sometimes people went to use another advisor. And that way they have their own person who's looking after their interests. And it, it, it makes them more comfortable with dealing with their finances. So we come to the topic of things you could do in advance, um, prenup agreement. Um, I certainly think if there's financial assets of any type of a reasonable amount, a prenup agreement probably makes a lot of sense, especially if the divorce rate, if, even if it is only 40%, that's still four out of 10 people that get married are gonna get divorced. And nowadays, what I usually recommend is something called a cohabitation agreement. And a cohabitation agreement will cover the prenup. It will actually have the term for when you go into marriage. But as soon as you decide to move in together, that's the time to go and do this, right? So you, you get that done early because it gets more difficult with time. But as soon as a client goes, they say, well, I found someone I'm really interested in. We're going to move in together. At that time, you should go for the cohabitation agreement. And they also have a, a one closet that takes care of and, and has a follow through to the marriage. So I didn't used to be a big believer in prenup agreements. Um, I think the one advantage they have is then both parties know what to expect should things fall apart. Second marriages is imperative. Uh, first marriage, a lot of people start out with nothing, so it's not that big of a deal. They go through life and everything's split 50-50 either way. But when you're into second marriages, generally speaking, uh, the assets are not the same. The incomes are not the same. It's uh, They've lived their life, and it would be an unfair distribution. So in Canada today, they, the deal is it's 50-50. So I'm going to use a simple thing. You start at 100%. And a couple decides to get divorced, and it's 50-50. In theory, you would think that each could survive on the remaining 50%, whether it be income, whether it be assets, whatever that is. In reality, what I've found is it's not 50-50. The division may be 50-50, but the surviving Either side, the surviving 50 can't make ends meet the way they could when they were together. And there's some big financial implications, and I think most people don't have any idea what those look like. Now, you've been through that. I've been through it, but the problem that you're into is you like your lifestyle, right? So you like your lifestyle. Would you want half your lifestyle to be taken away? You're still earning the same money. You haven't changed anything. And all of a sudden, half your lifestyle. Same for the other person. Both parties have both lived, got used to a certain lifestyle. They're going to stay in whatever it is, four-star hotels and whatever it is. It's very far, hard for that person. I still have the same job. I still have the same career. My ex-wife is still working. She has the same career. But when you split, 
you're no longer four, four star. You have to drop to three star to survive. So no one wants to have that happen because you haven't changed your work habits, you haven't changed anything, you haven't, you haven't made any adjustments, but it gets automatically adjusted for you. Let's touch on some of the big ones and, and you know, alimony and spousal support. How does that impact each partner, Mike? Well, there is a difference between alimony and spousal support. Or, well, alimony and spousal support will be the same, uh, but alimony and spousal sh support are generally going to be a deduction for the person taking it. So from a tax point of view, for the person paying the alimony, it's going to be a deduction off their income. But you got to be careful with that because it has to be regular payments. And I've had uh, tax odds come in where they make sure the money comes on a regular basis. You can't give lump sums or it doesn't count as alimony. So you got to be very careful to match up with the government rules. What are the implications for the one receiving the support? It's taxable. And again, it's, uh, it's actually RSP eligible because it's considered income. So they can get RSP room off of those payments. If there's children involved, determining child support is always difficult. It's what are the financial implications of that? Child support is basically, um, there's a calculator for that. So alimony is up to discretion. Child support is pretty much you put your incomes in and it gives you a detail uh, back on how much is required. Here's your income, here's your children you have, and it gives you detail on how much you have to pay. But child support is not tax deductible. So again, child support can be very expensive, especially if you're in the 53% tax bracket. Assuming we had 100% income before and now we have 50-50, with that spousal support sort of providing as best a balance as possible. What are the tax implications though? Well, all of a sudden there's, you're gonna pay higher taxes. There's no, there's no ability to split any type of, I mean, income splitting isn't usually done on non-retirees, but particularly with retirees, all the income splitting disappears. You have to change around your estate plan because now your beneficiaries are no longer tax-free. So there's a lot of changes in your financial plan on that. Legal fees. What was your experience? Mine, I, I, I had a very ambiguous split up with my spouse. So mine were very, very cheap. But because we both got along well, uh, we had a very friendly type of divorce. I don't know how you can call them friendly, but it was very friendly and ambiguous. So we had very little legal fees. I've seen many situations where it's north of 50000 per person. The, the other thing, too, is when you assume this, this time left over on how much people are going to make, you assume uh, their income stays 50-50. I've seen a lot of people who are horribly affected by divorces and their income drops and uh, their ability to make income. So not only do they have half the income, when they start over again, they, they have some emotional damage that doesn't allow them to earn the same money as they did before. And we've seen that with many clients. It just they're not the same people afterwards. Especially with things like child care. Maybe you're having to raise the... If you have two children, you're having to raise them by yourself. Luckily, in your case, you were able to, to divide, divide that. Yep. Long-term issues. What are some of the long-term issues that need to be taken account? You just touched on, I guess, the first one. Emotional. Emotional, psychological. Yeah. yeah, it's a big change. Retirement planning. Now, again, planning for a single person is a lot more different. Two single people isn't the same as retirement planning for a couple. I th Think about it. You need two houses now to live. That's your biggest expense, right? So when you go out and they split up, there was one house. Now you need a whole second household to support. Well, I still remember when you got your second place and you rented your second house, you had to make rooms available for your kids when they were over. Yeah. And there's a whole cost to doing that. Yeah, it's not a cheap thing to go through. 
Estate planning issues you've touched on already. Yeah, you have to update your wills and uh, powers of attorney. All that stuff has to be done. It used to be the case where everything stays, after you get divorced, nothing changes. All your wills stay the same. So if you don't want them to be the same, you better make changes. If you get remarried, many times you have to go and redo everything. You touched on housing changes. That goes back to lifestyle. If you're used to having your own home when you're married, you probably want your own home when you're divorced. Yep. You're, you're used to that. You're, you'd probably struggle if you had to go into a, a condo or something, at least not struggle, but it would be a, certainly a big change in your lifestyle. Career considerations, maybe the career you had before with both of you working where you could balance yourself with the kids worked. In this new environment where you need support, it may not work. There's a lot of financial implications, and I, I go back to what I said earlier. I've always found that division is never 50-50. It's more like 35 to 40 each. Yeah, and you just mentioned here too, credit. You, you go to renew your mortgage, and all of a sudden you, you split up. You think two people have trouble qualifying for mortgage. Can you imagine one person with a single income trying to qualify for, let's say, a seven dollars to $800,000 mortgage now, renewed at 7% interest rates? It's not happening. So any final words, Mike, on divorce? Stay married. <laughs> Stay married? Yeah. Much okay. cheaper, much more financially uh, uh, viable. That's from our in-house expert. That brings us to the end of another week. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob and Mike with Think Smart from the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management, reminding you to live the life that makes you happy. been listening to the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management Limited. Asante Capital Management Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Insurance products and services are provided through Asante Estate and Insurance Services Incorporated. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the previous information, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management Limited.